My guest today is Jeff Rotmeyer, founder and CEO of Impact Hong Kong and Love 21. Jeff, welcome. Nice being here. Good to see you again. Wonderful to see you too. Well, um, I always like to start off the podcast. If you could kindly tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, but my name is Jeff Rotmeyer. I'm from the founder and CEO of two different charities. One, Impact HK, which work with the homeless in Hong Kong, and also Love 21 Foundation, which works with the Down syndrome and autistic community in sport and nutrition. How did you uh, get in, into running two charities? I mean, most people can't run one, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have expected uh, this to ever happen. It was never my plan, to be honest with you. I got I got involved with the Down syndrome community, I guess, about 14 years ago in Hong Kong. And at that time, it was my first time ever meeting anyone with Down syndrome, and I was asked to coach a football program for them, and really just kind of fell in love with the experience and the community, and and really it changed my life. I, gave me a better perspective on what's really important, and I just loved it. Uh, playing football with that community every every Saturday became the highlight of my life. You know, don't tell my wife that, but it was just an incredible, incredible thing to do, um, which led to being introduced to the homeless population and um, started a bit of a movement there and inviting people to go with me to feed the homeless. And, you know, both, both continued um, impact HK with the homeless. It continued to grow and it became a bit of a humanitarian movement. And then with love 21, we continued uh, just coaching football that expanded in extra sports, hiking. And, and then it came to a point where I could really see how I really wanted to do this as a profession and uh, decided to start both as charities on the same day. And um, then was able to get them both to a certain stage. Uh, Impact HK really kind of took off. I was able to get out of my teaching career once I could get my salary shifted out um, and into, into the charity world. And I said goodbye to my teaching career about two years ago today. So yeah, it's been a quite a quite a huge <laughs> a huge shift in my life, and now I'm I get to do just awesome work with awesome people every day. Was it a, a very difficult transition to go from a teacher, um, which you know I don't want to say is not entrepreneurial because I think there's definitely some entrepreneurial teachers, but it feels like a stable income and a, and a, and a stable environment that's structured out for you to running two charities on your own was it was it a very painful transition was it a transition you enjoyed how, how's it played out you know it was a, it's it's hard work you know while I, while I was a teacher you know a full-time teacher every break every every second I was you know working on on the charity world as well I actually rented our first homeless center not far from where I am now as a full-time teacher so while I was a full-time teacher I we rented the space I employed a person to work there full time. Um, she still works with us today. She's a rock star. Um, but yeah, it's it was a huge thing. I remember being in between my classes. I'd be quickly rushing, you know, give her a call at the center, you know, everything all right? You still alive there? You know, and it was real, real work, you know, just real, really a, a big grind. I knew, I knew that it was going to be hard work. I was, but I knew that if it came down to hard work, I knew I could make it happen. I knew I could do it and uh, it took grind, but yeah, it's been an amazing process. Um, as far as the shift in profession, um, yeah, I think teachers are adaptable. You know, they should be creative, good communicators, um, well-planned, uh, well-organized in planning of uh, events and stuff like that. So that those were skills that I transferred over quite easily. And as far as, you know, leadership and working with my staff, I think a lot of the stuff that I did as a teacher, you know, relate to this work. So that's been good. I've always loved business. I've always been uh, an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit. I had a, I started a shutters company when I was in high school that paid for a lot of my university life. You know, I love business. I didn't study education. I kind of fell into it, but I've always been passionate about business and and I think it's been really exciting to watch these charities go because both of them will have social enterprises. Um, we're both looking to, both charities are looking to create businesses that help us sustain, help us better support our beneficiaries and employing them is a great way to do so. I think for my listeners out there um, wanting to make the leap from perhaps um, something they're doing now to this purposeful uh, project type um, 
orientation that you have a- any tips is, is it just a question of like just do it i mean you, you're explaining there you did it step by step you do you think there's a there's a any you know advice you can in hindsight give to anyone that wants to start something focused on purpose sure i mean it's gonna good things are worth fighting for i, I find i've had many people come to me looking for this type of advice and i've had many people um, telling me they want to do something, but they don't really understand how much hard work it's going to take. Um, good jobs don't just fall into your lap. You're not going to be able to shift into having a very meaningful job and working with the homeless or in another social enterprise or another charity um, just because you want to. I think it it takes effort. Um, and I think if you want to make that jump while having a full-time job um, to getting into another one, you got to put the hours in. I mean, I, I work very, very hard to get to this stage. And I think we can't underplay how, how that, you know, they have to make the effort. You know, I don't think you, I've had people come up to me and say, Oh, I'd like to now just do this, you know, and you're kind of like, well, you know, if you want that position, you got to earn it. You got to work for it. You know, we need that for our charity. You, you want to get into that role. We'll put the effort in, you know, we're not going to just hire you right now and start giving you the cash. I worked for, as a volunteer with the Down Syndrome community, for example, I worked for, gosh, what, like 12 years as a volunteer, you know, with Impact HK. I worked full time uh, for four years without making a single penny um, to make this position possible for myself, right? It's hard work. You know, it's not, it's not like I just jumped in and got a salary on day one. It's not like that. It takes effort. And I think people, if you want to get into something and you want to create something, be prepared to grind, be prepared. But the reward is that you get to live a really meaningful life. You get to do a job that you love and it's well worth it. But it, it you know, it, the hard work is, is well worth it for sure. It's, it's a fascinating nuance you're, you're pointing out here. I think if you, putting the work in, I mean, people hear that a lot, right? I think what isn't perhaps explained enough, I feel like, is the reward piece of doing something with purpose. Of course, the capitalistic society, everyone wants money, so that's what people see, but that's actually not what brings you satisfaction, right? I mean, this actually impacting communities that needed help and helping those communities have a better life, that is so purposeful. I I wish you could explain that feeling to people because when people hear hard work, I think it puts them off. You know, and I guess, you know, that, that, that the banks do this quite well. They're like, well, work hard, but look, you'll own a big house in Manhattan and you'll be able to drive a Ferrari so that entices p- brilliant people into banking. How can we entice brilliant people in, in, into purpose-driven charities like yours? Well, there's a couple aspects to it. I mean, number one, people doing meaningful work shouldn't be paid less. The, um, people doing meaningful work should be paid on the product and they should be paid on, on what they deliver. Right. If, uh, for example, if you have a, cha- a uh, charity working with cancer patients and trying to solve and cure cancer, that charity should be judged on can they cure cancer, not on their admin percentage of what people are paid. It's funny sometimes when people look at charities and they look at, oh, oh, you shouldn't earn that much because you work for a charity. And yet you have somebody who's just good at, uh, you know, some some type of banking or whatever, and they make a gazillion dollars. I mean, sorry, that's not a society I want to live in. I don't think people should be judged on, you know, just because you do something meaningful doesn't mean you shouldn't be paid for it, number one. But um, but no, I think uh, the hard work aspect to it, I mean, my the job that I do now is hard. I mean, I work extremely long hours. It's stressful. Uh, I work about 14 hours on average a day, you know, so I really do push the hours. But the work that I do um, is amazing uh the people i work with are amazing you know i have a lot of one-on-one conversations with individuals you put a lot of you know when you work with the homeless you have to put you know your heart into it and you have to it's a really a lot of heart-to-heart talks it's a lot of real investment in individuals and because you don't empower a person in pain uh by giving them a job you empower them through their heart through love through kindness through friendship through opportunities for fun. You know, we want to treat people how we'd like to be treated. And, you know, we want to really invest that time in humans. So I wake up every day and I absolutely love going to work. Uh, I absolutely love it. 
And, and I've gotten myself to that position through hard work, but at the same time, it, I would never do anything else. Now I am absolutely in love with this type of work. You've uh, given me like, um, shivers, you know, like with, with inspiration, I, I, I kind of, um, I really want people, listeners, to pick, to pick up on this kind of vibe, the the purposeful energy that you get from doing something so meaningful, and I couldn't agree more with you know people doing good things should be paid well. I I think it's ridiculous that there's this mindset that oh well you're a charity so you shouldn't earn anything. How how can people exist if that's the case? And no wonder um, there's not enough, frankly talented people putting their energies into big problems like you are you know it, it kind of makes you feel guilty for earning a living you know it's, it's just not right we need to flip that <laughs> yeah that, that that absolutely needs to be flipped i i, I would love to be um you know, to be helping making that happen i i think that absolutely needs to change and 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 people deserve totally. to be paid better um than than those setting up mortgages that create bankruptcy and devastation get paid you know gazillions of, of pounds and dollars or whatever uh, and and, uh, and and those doing meaningful work you know almost get frowned upon if they're trying to earn a living from it which so anyway I, I absolutely think that's something you know really important to address and, and thank you for bringing it up I'll I'm, jump in on that for a sec Sam you know the, you look at you look at like a guy like John Wood right John Wood who uh, was like, I guess CEO of Room to Read Yep. Right. That charity room to read. And you look at what happened there. You look at what he did with that charity and you look at the results that he got. I mean, this is a guy who came from the corporate world, um, left a, an incredible position, I think, is a very talented leader. Um, I don't really know his resume, to be honest, but I know it's impressive. It and he impressive. stepped in. Mind blowing. I know and, him well. Yeah. And unbelievable. Look at the results. They speak for themselves. We need we need incredible talent and leadership in this profession, just like in teaching right i mean teachers in hong kong make a great salary comparatively internationally right as they should i mean you get more talented teachers in the in there you know, you're working with the youth the whole society is going to flip that's a bit of, of a depressing talk but but you're right it's gotta it's gotta change i'm, I'm hopeful know? actually i'm hopeful i'm hopeful mm. with with stories like yours getting out there if if someone today is listening and they're you know they've got a, a well paying job maybe they can go out and create a, a well paying job with a purpose it's not that hard actually John Wood has written a whole book about uh, a purpose within a corporate world and I think mm. what what it does it's it's not just you know sustaining income what I think is the nuance of this that you've mentioned there that I I want people to get is that jumping out of bed never would want to do anything else feeling, which I think most people in high paid jobs that I've met don't have that same feeling unless purpose is in the business. So you're, you're describing something that money can't buy a bit like love, right? Uh, it's that, that, that total satisfaction of, of, of having an impact. How do you measure success today for yourself personally and for your charities? It's a tough, tough question. Tough question. I mean, I see success every single day. Uh, with Impact HK, I see individuals who, you know, I've, I've seen personally on the in the park, on the ground, uh, using heroin every day, dying. And I see them now today uh, working in our center, joining fitness classes and planning a camping trip. We're going to a, a movie tomorrow with these individuals. They're completely off, completely off heroin. And, and their job now is in helping other people who are facing similar predicaments that they were in. It's unbelievable. When I see that, that's, that's what I want to see. You know, that's, that's, I get to see that every day. So I see that success every day. And you also see, um, but you also see how we need to get a lot stronger very, very quickly. You know, I know what we need to do for the next five years. and I've got that very clear and we need to just attack it. And we have to do so with a complete urgency because we have individuals right now who are suffering um, that we can't help right now. And we have to get stronger um, to adapt, to strengthen our programs to help that individual. And I think we'll get there. I know we'll get there. Um, but success is is not really something I think about. I, know I don't really have that in my vocab. My, my only thought is on just attacking solutions. And as far as, as long as there are problems, then that's what needs to be focused on. I think the homeless 
um, issue is is I've been looking into it myself lately. I've been looking at investing in a business. Um, the primary concept is there's estate agents. You have them in Hong Kong. We have them here in England that sell property. I, I, I you know, They just sell property. That's all they do. And then the commission goes in the pockets often of shareholders or the people that have, have sold the property. I want property to be sold and the profits from that transaction, which can be huge money, by the way, should go into um, solving the homelessness crisis. And so then that brings purpose, I think, to an industry that has quite a, a lack of it other than a transactional thing. But it's been interesting going through the process of trying to get something like that off the ground and how people's um, perceptions of homelessness um, are, you know, have set in. As if, you know, as if, so for example, um, I, I was saying to someone this idea and they were like, well, at the end of the day, um, you know, a lot of homeless people want to be homeless. You know, there's a lot of these, these belief systems. Can we smash them? Any, any thoughts on this? Oh, completely. Yeah, I mean, I, that's what we do every day. You know, as a charity, we're very good at getting individuals off the streets. We've helped over 200 individuals into shelter in the last, in the last two years. Um, so we're helping individuals off the streets every day, and we keep them off the streets not because we provide them with shelter. Um, we keep them off the streets because we, we provide them with community and friendship and and laughter and a sense of like purpose, you know, and that's how money can't solve homelessness. So if you did have an idea like that, which is a good one, it's a caring one. We just need to think holistically in terms of how we support individuals off the streets. Shelter is one aspect, right? A job is one aspect, but really the glue that will keep them off is the friendship and giving people an opportunity to connect with other individuals and have a laugh, you know, have a community, have connection, right? Well, my my um, idea would be the profit on this would go to people like you, by the way. I think, I think you know, yeah, it, it, it is a very we'll nuanced thing. Yeah, yeah no, I, I think, you know, when you can find a charity that does good work, and I'm proud of Impact Ishka and the work we do, I, I think that's it's a huge amount of support. I, you know, you, you put it towards a very specific thing. You know, your dollar is going to the right, the right program and the right charity. I think that's amazing. Um, but as far as, you know, the, working with the homeless, people are always going to fall down. You're never going to be able to stop homelessness from happening. People have problems. That's reality. The secret is in educating society as much as possible and the importance of caring for people once they have fallen down. And that's why we invest as a charity um, a lot of time. I, just before speaking with you now, I just spoke to a school in Hong Kong. And, you know, that's what we have to do. We have to, we have to open up people's eyes. So when they see a person on the streets, their very first thought is care. It should suck. When you see an individual outside, that should hurt you. You should feel care because nobody wants to live in a society where people are in pain around you and it's unacceptable. And it makes absolutely zero sense to judge an individual or criticize someone's choices when you've never met them and you don't know who they are. And I could give you an example of so many people who are judged um, like an individual I just spoke about, uh, it was about 200 meters from me now, you know, a 72 year old man who's sitting on a bench right now in a park. And that is an individual who is judged. People look at him, they blame him for his situation. They criticize his choices. They try to give him advice as to what he should do. Right. And they didn't try to think about what he's thinking about. Right. And I know him. You know, he's a friend of mine now, and I know he's thinking about how his eight-year-old son died in an accident. He blames himself for that. He positions himself in a children's playground to torture himself. And he doesn't want to live anymore. He wants to die. He's in that much pain every day. And, you know, when you, you point out a story like that, I'm sure nobody, nobody who would understand that guy's situation would say, ah, lazy. You know, or you would never say, uh, this guy, you know, just get him in an apartment and everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Right. And when you think of choices, you know, you have to think, okay, what is the choice? Is the choice my reality? I've got a home. I've got a family that love me and care for me. We go to dinners together. We laugh together. We go to hiking and swim at the beach. We have a great family environment or, would you rather live in a park with rats and bugs and people stealing from you and be, you're being told to go somewhere else? You have incredible pain from your past. You have no hope for your future. And you're like, well, that's, that's reality. You think someone's going to leave this 
a beautiful life of a family on the beach where you feel loved and you're going to choose to be alone in a park in that much pain, it makes zero sense at all. Um, in Hong Kong, you do have one choice often that the homeless do have between uh, living inside and living outside. And that's living in a park in that level of pain I just described, or living in a coffin home or a caged home with the same lack of hope, lack of care, lack of connection. But one is paying 2,000 Hong Kong dollars a month, roughly 300 US a month to live in a tiny box with no, no breathability or living in the park. And that is sometimes the choice. But I have to say that living in that box, which thousands of people do in Hong Kong, um, is not a home and technically is homeless. It's an illegal space. So sometimes people do bounce in between these spaces and not. But it's a tough decision. But either way, it's a horrible decision. And the last thing we need is people in privileged positions uh, judging these people and, and pushing a narrative that is so cruel, really. You know, I, I couldn't agree more. And what you know, it, it, I, I talk within my own family that um, you know when I've talked about the homelessness issue in particular, there there, there really is an inbuilt almost like um, oh you know it's their own fault. They 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 drink too much. And what, what, why do they drink too much? You know, like like you just described. Mm. Frankly, it, it's got me quite emotional. I you know I have a three year old, and I I just couldn't imagine anything happening to him. And I think. You know, it, I, I could I could end up in exactly the same situation. I just I can't imagine having to deal with that sort of pain, and so um, you know, oh, yeah. it. Uh, I think if people had a bit more empathy, um, they'd, they'd they'd stop giving advice and and do more to help. Oh, and, and so, totally. Um, yeah, I, and it's impossible. Uh, it's impossible to sleep outside sober. I I I uh, I've slept next to the gentleman I spoke of. I, I slept next to him in that playground one evening, and I have to say, I had to drink a lot of beer. Um, I couldn't sleep. I even when I, I drank, you know, quite a few beer just to try and relax myself enough to, to get some sleep. And to be honest, I only slept about an hour and a half. It was a horrible night. It's not like you're outside in the streets and you're like gonna tuck yourself in and go, Good night everybody, I'm going to sleep now. You know, it's not like that. You're in pain. Mm. Right? It's normal when you're in pain to want to escape that pain. And I mean I do it. Uh everybody does it in some way, whether you're you know, you meditate or you stare at your phone, play games, not think about your stress or your pressure. And these individuals that are outside are in immense pain. You know, so uh, with with drug addiction stuff, it's a regular thing. We employ drug users. We That's what we do. When somebody who's high or drunk or whatever comes into our center, that to me is an amazing opportunity. That is somebody I want to talk to. And I want to make sure that they know that they're cared for. And I want to make sure that they know that there is an opportunity with us and that they're welcome here. And we cherish a moment when somebody asks you for help because it's a privilege to help someone. And, and the last thing that somebody who's using drugs or alcohol or whatever uh, needs is a complete unfair judgment and being told just to go away and come back when you're clean. And it's ridiculous. There's two things I want to ask Again, I'm always thinking about how the audience, um, if the audience wanted to help a homeless person, is, is, there a, is there a process? I mean, in England, there are lots of good charities like yours too, but I feel like, you know, is there a good way to start a relationship with, with someone on the street um, that you want to help? Also, at the same time, um, is, there a, is there an insight into how did you end up this way, Jeff? You know, you, I, I mean, I've, I've interviewed thousands of people in my time. You know, I, there's just, there's not enough people like you. How did you get this way? What, what changed? What triggered it? What was it? Was it your parents? Was it your upbringing? Was it your own education? Was it just naturally there? How, how did you have this empathy that you had? I don't know. I think, well, my, you know, my parents are pretty amazing, to be honest with you. I've had a pretty privileged life. They're very loving parents and they're very sacrificial. I do know that. And I definitely think I learned a lot of their, uh, their, their sacrificial side of always putting other people first. And I think I've got that from them. Um, and I think over time, I just saw through, through teaching and, and leadership, uh, learning to be a leader um, through teaching. I think I've, I just something I just kind of fell into. And I don't think I'm like superhuman. I think lots of people, when given an opportunity to do this type of work, would just do the same thing as me. I think that the key is in providing more opportunities 
for employment in helping people. I think that is the thing that we've tapped into. The individuals that we help off the streets, um, man, they are awesome. I mean, they love helping people. The funny thing is that the homeless are characterized as lazy, which is hilarious to me because one of the greatest challenges we have with the staff that we employ off the streets is that we can't stop them from working. It's very difficult to get them to take a holiday. We're really struggling that with that. We've actually had to have meetings and trying to trick them into taking days off. It's, it's hilarious. And then you have people in society, you know, saying that they're lazy. It's just funny. And it's, it's, the, it's the fact of, of, of them finally having an opportunity. You know, we don't talk about rehabilitation with the individuals we're supporting. We're talking about habilitation. This is the first time they've ever been supported. It's the first time they've ever been encouraged and motivated to do meaningful work. And it brings the best out of people. You know, so it's, it, it's quite, it's just exciting to be able to give um, these friends an opportunity to do meaningful work. And it just brings out the best in them and the people that they support. I, I think it's amazing. And I wish all companies did this. If someone walks in drunk, and I've seen this here, someone walked recently into a supermarket and they were quite drunk. Of course, the first thing the security people try to do is get you out of that environment and get you get yeah. rid of you, you know. Yeah. And I love the idea that if someone walks in, you know, the first thing your instinct is as a human being is, wow, there's someone here I can help. How can I help you? What do you need? I think mm. if we could lead with that in life, what a different planet we'd be living in right now. I'll tell you, I'll give you an example I, I think about often is, you know, I've been, you know, I'm in, I'm in, I can think of an example in like a supermarket. And if I was in a supermarket and I was checking out and I was putting my food on the till, it was my turn next. And somebody behind me just steps up and just rudely, really rudely, butts in and says, Hey, can I go ahead of you? Or I don't know, some, some ridiculous example, which, which happens from time to time, right? If your very first thought when you have someone do something extreme to you is of judgment, you're like, Oh, what the dickhead, you know, or whatever, you know, if you can get on a level where you first, your very first thought when somebody acts in a way that you deem is unacceptable, your very first thought is not of judgments is actually of, Whoa, this person might be going through, a really tough time. You know, you can get on that level and I'm not there yet. Um, I still think some, a lot of people are dickheads and I try to get on, you know, try to, you try to get on that level where you can first, you know, this is coming from somewhere, right? Bad acts do not define these individuals as human beings. Um, people like, for example, it makes zero sense for a homeless individual to come into our into our center, skipping and whistling and saying good morning to everybody. It makes perfect sense for somebody to come into our center being a complete asshole. Um, this is an individual who slept outside last night, who had probably had one of the worst nights, a worse night than I've ever had in my entire life. Who am I to judge that individual? Who am I to place my opinion on how they should behave? I don't have any idea what they're going through. And I like it when people come in and are a bit, you know, bit of a dickhead or an asshole. I, I kind of appreciate that in a way. It gives me a chance to show them that I, you know what, this is a safe place. This is a place you can come in. And yes, I can tell you that from now going forward, that's going to be unacceptable. And that there are other people here also in pain and also need care and kindness. And it gives you a moment to be able to kind of get on more of a human level and, and, and I think further have a conversation with someone. But you um, do have people like that on who are on guard, right? Because the homeless, they, they have to be so strong. They have to put this um, defense quality out and they have to kind of defend themselves. So if you went up to a homeless person and say, hey, you need a thing? You'd be like, no, I'm fine. Well, maybe he's not, but I don't blame him for saying that. Who, who are you? He has to tell, am I going to tell a perfect stranger my whole life story? You know, it makes no sense. So your earlier question on, you know, what, how can we help the homeless? Well, we have to understand we're not going to be able to rock up to some stranger with a banana and just strike this amazing friendship. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes care, you know, and you, you have to put the effort in. You want to earn someone's trust on the streets? That takes effort. And if you can get on a one-on-one -on -one level and a friendship level with somebody, that's easily the best way to empower them off the streets, whether it be in Vancouver, Canada, where I'm from, or Hong Kong, or wherever. Totally. I think it's um it's interesting as well us as evolving as people. I mean, I I consider myself quite 
quite an empathetic person. But I, I when I first moved to England, uh, after living in Hong Kong for 20 years, I was actually shocked how many homeless people there were on the streets here. It, it, it is it is also crazy. I mean, Hong Kong has its some serious problems, of course, as well. But I feel like you just described Hong Kong and it's, it's kind of hidden a bit more in like you're talking about those cage environments. In England, there's, they're, they're literally, there's just at the end of my street and you know, I live in a pretty wealthy area. There's five people that live on the street down there. You know, and, and it's just it's just shocking. And I and I remember at first trying to connect because they're part of my community. I've moved to this area, trying to connect and being scared, you know, and, and, and being worried that they might, you know, break into my home if they know where I live, you know, or, or the, these weird. And as I got to know a few of the homeless people here, like you said, actually, at first, they're quite rude. <laughs> and, and and like you say, you know, I, I'm, I'm rude if I don't have a cup of coffee in the morning. So, you know, it's it, 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 just natural, isn't it? Like you say, with, 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 with the process. But but it's been interesting watching. I've, I've learned myself to be more empathetic and, and listen more and, and try to understand what that person's going through. And, um, and, and I recently, for example, I gave a bag of crisps to one of the homeless people and, and just kind of walked away. And then someone said to me, you shouldn't give him anything. You know, he's actually, he's fine. He's, he's just, you know, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. But all I did was give him a bag of crisps. He might be fine. He, he, you know, in your opinion, he's sitting in the street just trying to get money because he's lazy. That's your opinion. That's fine. And maybe that's true. But all I did was give him a bag of crisps, you know, like no big deal, yeah. is it? You know, so, so he conned me out of a bag of crisps, did he? You know, like, but it's funny how people's <laughs> judgment on you doing something for someone else then also comes into play. You know, yeah, and, those, and, are the, those are the worst people. And, and, and the worst. You, I actually got another yeah. case where it's like you're encouraging him to be at the end of the street because you're giving him stuff. I'm like, <laughs> it's just yeah. bizarre. But I, lo- I love, I love, I love talking about it, and 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 I, and I love the fact that you know your your philosophy of of, of improving yourself. Um, and, and I've had that exact example where someone pushes in front of me and I have think I've had exactly the same initial reaction, which is like, hey, man, what's wrong with you? You know, don't be so rude. <laughs> yeah. no. And um, I have a lot of trolls yeah. on some of my social media channels. And actually, I've learned it's more interesting to be nice to trolls than it is to fight <laughs> them. And some of those yes. trolls have ended up becoming people I've got to know. And actually, yes. they're pretty interesting people. You know, they've got their pain. It's often not about you. So I think it's a great philosophy, Jeff. So thanks for sharing it. I think the whole... Yeah. Well, just uh, two seconds on that. What Go I have ahead, to say. yeah, please. Because, uh, because um, yeah, yeah, there's people that, that discourage kindness right they those are the, that's kind of the worst that's the that's the low of the low you you try to help someone and they start telling you this false narrative of how you should not be kind to people as if your kindness is going to result in as if they know everything about what your kindness is going to be it's it's kind of I, i'm okay if people don't care um about the homeless but i do take uh, offense to people going and not just not caring, but also spreading these false narratives of judgment of people they don't know about. That, to me, needs to be squashed. I love squashing people like that yeah. because I don't think that they're bad people. I have to – judgment goes both ways. I don't think they're bad people. I just think they just haven't learned. They just haven't had the education, well, and they haven't under, they can't understand the problem. So. You know, I, I could agree. A, I mean, the worst, the worst for me is, is, um, and I, you know, I don't want to insult my own family, but, but my, my, my brother's children, um, and I won't name which one it is, you know, but my, <laughs> one of my brother's children, he actually tells them these things, and then they, they say, well, homeless, it's their fault. I'm like, no, that's what your father's told you, but that's not true. Have you actually spoken to a homeless person to understand what they're going through? No, no, I, no, I don't need to. It's their own fault. And, uh, you know, if they didn't drink, they'd be fine, you know, like, but why do they drink? It can happen to you. Something can happen to you to make you go that way, you know, like, and so, so anyway, I think one of the things, I mean, I, I feel like homelessness itself is, is pretty recognized. Um, let, let's call it as, 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 as an area that society needs to improve itself on and, 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 and be kinder to people. Down syndrome, however, and, and I can talk for myself, I feel like I don't know a lot about what, what, what problems are there that you're solving i mean t- tell, tell us a little bit about the down syndrome charity it's you know the reason i started it as a charity is is basically to increase the life expectancy you know um in hong kong um you have one of the highest life expectancies in the world you know mm-hmm. and and with the down syndrome community it's the opposite right and you kind of have to wonder well why is that you know, and I, I guess it's partially the fact that I've walked around this entire week throughout Hong Kong and I haven't seen a single individual with Down syndrome, right? And and what a shame that is because this is such a beautiful community that have so much to offer our society. Um, 
And why would we want to live in a society where everybody's the same? That makes no sense at all, right? We have to, you know, when we look at individuals, we should be absolutely looking at what they offer, you know, what are their abilities? What are their talents? You know, not on what they cannot do. So if you, if you look at that and, you know, and, and trying to think, you know, how can we, how can we help extend the life of these individuals in Hong Kong? How can we get them more involved in our society? Um, sport alone is not enough. I don't believe in starting charities and I wouldn't have started either charity if it was just in feeding people or just in providing sport. You know, sport alone is not enough. So what we've got is a, a real holistic program with uh, diet, nutrition, um, you know, even even classes that are 100% for the parents. You know, at the end of the day, the, the child's going to spend the most time with that parent. And if that parent's empowered and supported, then that's going to benefit the kid. We're really thinking outside the box, I think, in terms of how how to start a charity and how to really make the biggest impact with, with the people we support. And, and so I think let's talk quickly about the, the business model of a, of a charity. Again, I think this is another... I don't want to say misconception, but a lot of people see charities. Oh, okay, you need more money. Okay, you need more money. But how how do you sustain your your charity? How how do you how do you make it work? It's it's been interesting. Yeah, you know, Impact HK has been a movement of thousands of people, and with that with that base of that amount of people, uh, it comes with a lot of support financially as well. You know, these individuals. Uh, work with corporations, you know, which results in more money coming in. But um, I guess the funding model with Impact HK has is, is been the movement of the people and and that's powered us forward. And then once we got to be a charity, now we get very good corporate support. We have a very strong CSR program, which is called Corporate Social Responsibility and um, taking employees out, showing them what we do, how we do it, why we do it. That pays a lot of bills as well. Further uh, partnerships with corporations. We also now get foundation support, and I think as a as a charity now we're we're also opening up businesses. We have our retail shop, clothing, coffee brand. Um, we're opening up a painting company, and also going to open up restaurants. Love Twenty One, on the other hand, has had a totally different model in terms of, you know, we aren't a volunteer driven organization. We have some coaches, um, you know, we have some volunteers who are more dedicated and on and just consistent. No, we don't have much of a rotation. Impact HK, 5,000 volunteers roughly in two years. Love 21, more like 25. So you don't have the same model. Um, but we have received good good support from um, Siganti Capital Management. Um, we just got also some big, some big funding from the Jockey Club and HSBC. Um, DH Chen Foundation. So we've got some good support with Love 21. Um, but again, with Love 21, we also want to go into social enterprise. We want to get, you know, our community out there and we want to create some some cafes. We're going to open up some, um, the plan is to open up some, yeah, Jamaican food, Caribbean food uh, cafes, call them One Love. One Love, tw- Love 21, One Love, a uh, little Bob Marley tribute there. But um, yeah, it, I think it's going to be really unique and I think it'd be a, a fun Really cool cafe, good music, incredible service. And yeah, I think it's going to be just fun to get this community more involved and show Hong Kong how, how amazing they are. One of my favorite restaurants in London, um, it's called 15. Have you heard of it? it was a, no. It was a Jamie Oliver initiative. Unfortunately, he got caught in his financial uh, problems in the restaurant industry, but it was a, a great model. He would take... Um, people from troubled backgrounds into the restaurant and train them how to cook and train them how to be you know good at service and, and give them a job where no one else would and it's tremendous uh tremendous idea i, I loved it i used to, i used to go there well, i would say once a week and just be inspired by by the people that came in there to your point about people's perception of someone like who's homeless being lazy you know the, the perception of 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 um certain individuals coming from certain sectors of society also being lazy it's completely not true and and so mm-hmm. yeah it was, it was I, I like the model i like the model moving towards as well having your own products and your own your own businesses that, that hopefully generate profit and uh, it's, I'm, and I'm also interested in, in just quickly because I'm thinking about people who might want to set up something for themselves and learning from you. Um, you know, this mm. is B corporation model versus a charity model. Do, do you have any views on 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 those? 
Yeah, I mean, you don't want to get, I, I personally don't like asking for handouts. Uh, I don't like the idea of as a charity begging and, and jumping through massive hoops of like applications and all that. It's not my thing. It's not my, my dream job is not in writing applications. And often charities kind of fall into that because they don't think innovatively and they, and they, they have their product of what they do and they spend the majority of their time maintaining that product and maintaining that service and just getting funding to survive. And, and sometimes charities, what they do in Hong Kong, they typically will, the only way they can get new funding um, is by starting a new program. Right. And, and what they do is they continue to expand new program, Oh, new funding, new program, new funding, new program. And then they basically have a shitload of programs that they do very, very mediocrely. Right. They, they don't do anything exceptionally and i think it's a much better model as a charity to develop a program that is awesome it dominates like just a kick-ass charity program where the result is so amazing that people will donate to it right it's like you know at the end of the day it's the product like we touched on earlier you know does this cancer do they cure cancer right i want to i want to support a charity that cures cancer not a charity that does mediocre programs that support cancer research, right? I want to, I want to support a charity that has an amazing product. And I think that's what you do as a charity. Instead of you going out and, you know, constantly on the search for the funding, instead focus on just really create a charity that's kick-ass mm, i love it i think you're talking about the money will come because you know? in business business models are always getting evolved you know you could you could argue the high street is being replaced by amazon good or bad i mean that's what's happening i feel like charities hasn't isn't having the same um evolution i do feel like you're trying to do that i mean what, what you're talking about there to me charities need just because you are a charity it doesn't mean necessarily you're having an impact right and so it's it's interesting. I think you're talking about an evolution of the charity model, which is which is fascinating, and 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 I like the ideas. You know, the principles of the people in that charity getting paid properly and not being ashamed of it. You know, they, why why shouldn't they? And I like the idea of of having your own products and your own your own um, outreach and your own ways of generating income. And I, I love the concept of community too. I think that's that's incredibly powerful. And so it's fascinating. When you set out to do these two these two charities, um, well, one, would you recommend people do two charities or one? Or should they just go for it and do three when they start out? Just do one. Just do one. <laughs> <laughs> just do one. <laughs> Trust me on this one. But no, I mean, for me, it worked out amazingly. I wouldn't change it for the world. I, I, I look at this as a great challenge and I'm, I'm super, super pumped up and excited uh, about both um, long-term wise. We'll see how it goes. Right. Is there synergy? Um, is there a synergy? I mean, back office structure, for example, does it, is it, is, it, is there a way of making, is, is that make it easier to do too? There's well, Hong Kong's just a networking city. I mean, it's incredible how, I mean, both charities benefit from me being CEO of both, mm. you know, the, the connection wise, it works. The publicity works. There's so many aspects that bring so many positives to it. And I can get shit done really, really quickly. So like in Hong Kong, you've just got a lot of reach, a lot of connections. If I need something here, I can, wow, I've got this person here, right? You you do have to constantly uh, be really on guard of any potential conflict of interest. You cannot take any chances in that. And I don't, there's no point in me doing it um, in, in any way. And if it ever gets to a point where a, a different leader could come in and do a better job for either of those charities, then it's my time to step out, you know, and that's, that's going to come at some stage and not sure when that'll be, but, um, so, so you know, the goal of, you know, sorry, Jeff, sorry. I, I, I want to make sure people pick up on that because there's a lot of my listeners as well that um, are running businesses and they, they get stuck in those businesses. And, and one of the things I have also learned in my last company, I, I let someone else run it because it was the right time to let someone else run it. That is in, credible leadership sometimes just holding on to it for the sake of it whatever's best for the business especially when it's a purposeful business is the best thing for the business right so that that's real leadership you just highlighted there jeff the point you just made there i think um you know giving up the power and let's call it the kudos and the fame you know that you're only doing all of that to make the charity work right and i think that's sometimes what also people miss when they see 
people doing charitable work, they think they're just promoting themselves by doing this good thing. But the best charities are doing what you just described there, which is I just want to make the charity work. And at some point, I might not no longer be the best person to run both these charities and I'm, I will let the best person run it. That, that's, I want people to pick up on that. So sorry, I just want to highlight it. I, I oh, interrupt yeah. you. I, mean, I, want, uh, I want this charity to be a charity that is here hundreds and hundreds of years from now, both of them, right? So I'm not going to be around. <laughs> you know, I, want, I want this charity to be one that completely is ingrained in the fabric of Hong Kong. You know, and hundreds and hundreds of years, I think, it's, you know, that's the goal. I always, so, think, I always think, shouldn't governments be doing this? You know, like, is, isn't this the role of, of, of you know, to, I always think a, you know, a society is judged by how it treats its poorest. And, it, and, and, and I, I always think, like, isn't this something governments should be doing? Yeah, I think if, if you had a, an amazing government, I would say, yeah, that would be nice. But realistically, I don't see... I don't see that being possible. Is it, is it just just for the sake of brainstorming it? Like I always think about, I started an agency called Fluid, and and I sold it to PwC. PwC could have never have started that business. Um, of all due respect to the brilliant people there, they wouldn't have wanted to do the work. Um, but once it was working and built up, then they buy it and they can scale it much better than I ever did. But you know, is it not true for charities? A similar model. Once you've got it working, you then go to the government and you say, "Look, this is how you do it. This is how you even get it funded." Um, now just mm. just do it well if i specifically if you spoke about the hong kong government and impact hk it's very very difficult to ever imagine them being able to do it because it's so heart-led on what we do and our rigidity of rules uh, if you look at the rules and regulations and how bureaucratic the hong kong government is it would never be able to do what we do it just wouldn't be able to do you'd be too bottled down in rules. So for example, you have three major charities in Hong Kong that help the homeless, uh, which are government funded. And all of those charities, I've met with them recently, none of them can support individuals with drug addiction for shelter. So they do not support people, the homeless who have drug addiction. They just refer them to other agencies and push them away to other groups. Well, that's crazy. We're talking about 90, 95% of the homeless in Hong Kong. So, you know, um, and what, why do they and, put that and, all know, in place? What, what is, is this one of these misunderstandings again? Why, why, why is that? Rule yeah. there? Well, it's, it, it, you know, it, it's, a, it, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of things. And I, I'm, I'm definitely not an expert in understanding it, but I do know that as far as like risk taking, putting your neck out with the government, it's just not going to happen because the government's top job and they're, when I say that, I mean, their most important priority is keeping their job. They, that's their top job. You know, they, they, that's their number one focus is how can I maintain my job and keep my job? Putting yourself out there and taking a bold risk in working with the homeless is putting your job at risk. I'll give you an example. We had an individual I helped recently. Um, I, he's on his last legs of methadone. Um, he, in time working with us, he got off heroin and then he was on his last... I think he was on his last 15 milligrams of methadone. And um, we, I took him out to where I live, uh, South Lantau, and I put him in a small hotel near my home. And we put him in there for three and a half weeks. And every morning I would get up, go there at eight in the morning or 7.30 and we'd go hiking and um, had his counseling out there and um, kicked his last legs of methadone. And now he works full time for us and he's doing amazing. Um, just saw him today as well. It just, it just, he's killing it. He, just killing it. It's a very bold move. We rented a hotel. The, the budget we spent on him wasn't the same budget that we spend on other people we're helping. Um, the risks of what could have happened. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's just so much, right? right. Um, that type of, I guess, agility and, you know, solution focused, bold, bold solution uh, focused work you know i think it's it's very difficult to ever imagine the government of hong kong coming up with a plan like that but you do have to think like that because we treat each beneficiary as a friend each person that we work with we look at as a, on a one-on-one -on -one level of that specific person we don't take hundreds of individuals and make them conform into one single program 
Now, that, could the government do unique. that? That's very unique. Potentially. To, to, to your point, that's very hard for anyone to think that way because, as you say, with other existing charity structures, quite often they have a fixed program. I mean, I, I see it a lot with the unemployed right now. There's a lot of people unemployed that, frankly, could end up homeless. Uh, and, and, and a lot of the systems are like, okay, you know, you are not going to get any money because you have a little bit of savings, for example, or you're not going to get any money because you could get a job, but you just haven't got one yet. You know, like there's, there's all these rules in place that allow people, frankly, to go over the cliff and get into trouble that, that don't make any mm-hmm. sense, in, in, especially in the COVID world. But, you know, in, in a, in, you're not listening to people's particular needs. And I think that I'm hoping that's going to change because I think technology is allowing us to understand people better. I mean, of course, technology has a lot of bad to it too, but there's a, you know, technology, I think, does also allow us to tailor-make things at scale. Um, and I think that's what you're talking about there. You're talking about tailoring your, um, your service to people's needs, but trying to still do it at scale. That's, that's, the, that's the trick, isn't it? Yeah, and if you look at... Um, okay, look at, look at dog charities, right? dog, dog rescue charities. You know, if the government... That, that might be something that the government could do. Just for example, because it it could become it could become a program that is quite, you know, you have the dogs, they're taken in, they're saved. Um, then you have some of the dogs which are calm; they could be used in rehabilitation purposes throughout the day. Um, homeless charities, the dogs could be partnered with. That could all be set up and run in a pretty straightforward way. And if the government was doing that then maybe they would understand a little bit more about how they also have to change policy in terms of um, dog shops and puppy mills or whatever they're called, you know, and maybe they would get a little bit more of a wake up call and then maybe they would start changing policy if they were involved more on the ground. But at the end of the day, I still think there's something to be said about NGO leadership and small NGOs and collaborations amongst NGOs that I think is very difficult to replicate and very difficult to have a government run. That doesn't the government... Some of our, yeah. I'm sorry, Jeff, you, 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 go ahead. No, no. Ahead. No, I mean, you, you, you mentioned ahead. an interesting... Yeah. I mean, I know a lot about the dog rescue space. I actually have two dog, dogs from Dog Rescue. Um, actually, it's very interesting, uh, probably parallel to in some respects to what you're talking about, because in, in, in Hong Kong, anyway, you've got the Hong Kong Dog Rescue, which actually kind of, in some respects, um, compete with the SPCA, because the SPCA is government-funded. They kill the dogs... Within, you know, if you're not adopted within a week, they put the dogs down. Healthy, normal, happy dogs. If they haven't got a home within a week, they put them down. So the Hong Kong Dog Rescue Charity started, which is where I got my dogs from, you know, they said, why are we putting these healthy, normal dogs down? You know, like, it doesn't make any sense. But the government won't continue to fund um, unless they've got homed uh, quickly. So, I mean, but I wonder, I mean, it's... um, you know, I guess with animals, somehow it's easier to be, you know, somehow clinical about it. I mean, of course, they're not going to say put humans down, but but conceptually, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of shocked. A government must come and look at what you're doing and saying, what can we learn from this charity and do better? I know the Hong Kong government has its failings, but in the end, they are there to serve the people. Do they not even come and look? <laughs> yeah, we've uh, we have not had any contact um, from the government in any way. Mm. Um, I've spoken with uh, other charities who are government subvented and, you know, the, the government does reach out to them. And I recently was told uh, by one of the big ones here that uh, they were, they were, the government official told them about the work we're doing and asked if we could do, asked if they could do something similar in terms of our housing first policy. So in terms of we, we automatically get people into shelter but that conversation with them didn't go very far because of, you know, multiple rules and regulations that they have. It's total common sense, isn't it? Like back to your point earlier about as soon as they have at home, they have community, hopefully have some laughter. They have, you know, and those yeah. things all bond. And, and then, you know, um, it just makes total sense. I can't believe they don't already have this policy. I mean, there must be, a, is there a country doing it right? Do you do, when you look at the map at the moment, you know, is, is there some, I mean, I always think like education is always, Sweden always comes up and, you know, is doing it well. Is there anybody? I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. I, I did see a, a Facebook post on one country, maybe it was Iceland or something, that completely eliminated homelessness right away, like within a year. And they just, you know, they just shot everybody uh, into homes and it was done. Right. 100%. Right. And I don't know what, what's happened with that since, but that wouldn't work in Hong Kong. Um, 
the level of uh, mental illness we see on the streets is really worrying. And, you know, we have individuals outside that are in really bad shape. They really are severely mentally ill and you have, you know, schizophrenia on the streets and like really, really serious issues and, and housing wouldn't solve that problem. There's a lack of mental health support in Hong Kong. Um, there's a lot of problems and you couldn't just sweep everybody up into shelter and then let it go. So I'm not sure what happened there. Every, every country is different, but I do think every country definitely, every human definitely needs a friend. And we all need a community. We all need connection. Um, and if you have a homeless charity that doesn't think about that, then honestly, I don't think they're going to be getting good results no matter where they are. Couldn't agree more. So I, I could talk to you forever. I am, I, I, I'm so grateful you take the time out from, frankly, I know a very busy uh, life running two very important charities. So I want to thank you for taking time out. I, I wanted to end, I guess, with, with a, a light question. Um, and I, I, I'm, some people don't call this light, but if you went back to your younger self and gave some advice, Jeff, what would it be? I would say, you know, take a, you know, think about something, think about something that you deeply care about. Think about a cause, whether it be working with, you know, animals or seniors or the intellectually disabled or the homeless or anything, you know, think about something that you care about and, you know, just take a step towards it. Right. Oftentimes people, they don't think about trying because they feel like they have to hit a home run in their first bat. And, you know, if you think back to six years ago when I started, when I was introduced to the homeless population, I didn't solve homelessness on that day. But by just taking that first step, it led to many more in an education on how I can make a greater impact. So I, I really, when I, when I think about the youth and when I, when I speak with them regularly, I encourage them. I say, you know, just take a step. Just think about something and just try it and, and see what happens. And, you know, when you lead with your heart, I think great things happen and, and nothing bad's going to happen, but, uh, you know, it'll be a good experience. I think great advice. And it uh, sounds like your younger self listened. <laughs> you see you seem to be doing just that i think my, my translation of, of what you say is, is find your purpose you know and and, and it can take time sometimes i think it's yeah. not, it doesn't happen overnight like you say get involved in things that matter to you i always tell people to look at what's happened to them like my father for example had heart disease so i'm, I'm you know i like i like to help charities that are trying to help families that have been uh, affected by that so i think digging into you know your own family history can can also bring out what your purpose is but you need to look right yeah exactly yeah well i'm going to sum yeah. up i'm going to sum up a few things that i've 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 taken away uh, from from the chat with you today i think um good things are always worth fighting for but you're going to have to fight so be prepared and and expect that nothing um no meaningful work should uh, should be paid less I just I couldn't agree with that more for like making that into a t-shirt and and selling it everywhere and and the money coming back to your charity I I couldn't, I couldn't agree with that more I'd love to change that paradigm um, um I'm going to put the room to read and, and John Wood stuff in in this podcast link too because you brought up another great charity there that's doing purposeful work um and so yeah th thanks for um mentioning him I, I want to get this pronunciation right but I'm slightly dyslexic but I, I like the word a lot when you said habilitation habilitation kind of that that's a really interesting word um and and i think a lot of the time um people people see re rehabilitation right habilitation and so i really love that context of that word it's this reframing how people see the problem right so it's really good i love the point you made as well about we're all different and that's a good thing i think somehow there is this kind of like conformed society um expectation and i just couldn't agree more. I have to say one of the things I, I do love about London is the diversity of the people that are walking around. And um, there's quite a few Down syndrome kids living in my neighborhood. And, and, you know, I've become friends with them. You know, you have that interaction and you, you learn and you grow uh, by having different people around you. And so I, I, I just couldn't agree with it more. Um, I want to shout government wake up because I think what you are doing should should be the role of, of, of a good government. So I thank you for filling the gap that is clearly in Hong Kong. Don't want to get you into any trouble because the Hong Kong laws changed recently. So we're, we love Hong Kong, but, you know, wake up, government, wake up, because I think there's, there's some big problems that need solving and it shouldn't be on the shoulders of just people like Jeff. And uh, take a step forward uh, towards it. I, I, I like that kind of general gist, you know, lean in, find your purpose, and uh, Jeff, thank you 
for sharing all of these insights with us today. And, uh, and thank you for doing the great work that you're doing. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I really appreciate the chat. Yeah, good to see you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast. I hope you found Jeff's insights useful. And if you want to know more about the charitable work that he's doing, please click the links in the broadcast below. In addition, you could support him by doing as little as just going on his social media, giving him a like, giving a comment on one of his channels, and just sharing what he's trying to achieve. Of course, you could go a step further and offer to support, sponsor, or just perhaps go to one of his coffee shops in Hong Kong and buy a drink. I want to thank you again for listening. I know you have thousands of podcasts that you could be listening to, and you choose to listen to us. We feel exceedingly lucky.